0: Coming right up, Straight Talk with Art Levine. Our guest tonight, Long Beach City Prosecutor Doug Halbert, as we continue our 26th anniversary
1: year. Straight Talk is brought to you in part by the Port of Long Beach, a leader in international trade and environmental stewardship. And the Press-Telegram, your local news leader for over 100 years. And Scan Health Plan, for your health and independence.
2: Join us for tonight's edition of Straight Talk. And now your host, Art Levine.
0: Good evening and welcome to Straight Talk. We have a wonderful show for you tonight. Entire show will be with our Long Beach City Prosecutor, Doug Halbert. Doug, welcome back to Straight Talk.
3: Thank you for having me back, Art. Appreciate it.
0: You bet. Uh, You've recently announced that you will be running Uh, For a third term for city prosecutor. That's correct. That's correct. And each is a four-year term. No term limits. There's no term limits. And as of this moment, you do not have any announced opponent.
3: I don't have an announced opponent. Uh, You never know. And I think uh, in this position, you just keep doing your job regardless, and uh, and see what
0: happens. Now, Long Beach is kind of unique in having an elected city prosecutor only city in the state that does that. Tell us a little bit about the advantages and maybe disadvantages of having an elected city prosecutor.
3: It it is a very unique position. There are about 12 cities that prosecute their own state law misdemeanors. And so there are some cities that have an elected city attorney who has a criminal prosecuting division. There are some cities that appoint a city prosecutor. But uh, there's only one city in California that elects directly uh, their own city prosecutor. And from the standpoint,
0: excuse me, from the standpoint of a citizen, what's the benefit of having an elected versus an appointed city prosecutor?
3: Well, obviously, there's more accountability to the voters. So the people who elect me, um, I don't uh, owe my appointment to a council or to a city manager. Uh, The people direct me or elect elect me directly. Uh, and obviously I have to show results uh, and I think I'm very proud of what my office has done. So that's certainly one of the, the advantages of having an elected city prosecutor. Obviously the disadvantage is it's an elected position. And so if you are worried about someone doing things for political purposes, uh, that, that could happen. Historically though in Long Beach, uh, you tend to have, uh, you know, career prosecutors in these positions and people that are well known uh, in the public. So uh, people who have spent a lot of time in the community, and of course I have for many many years before i was ever elected uh... and, and i think long beach uh, is in a unique position to do some things in the criminal justice system that other cities are not in the position to do and so our office takes it as a responsibility to do some of these unique innovative programs that may become models for other places because we can do it long beach is large enough for example to have its own health department its own police department its own fire department we can do things that you just can't do in smaller cities that don't have those things or in larger cities where it's so big and so bureaucratic you can't get anything done. Long Beach is kind of uniquely situated in that way. And having an elected city prosecutor just puts me in a position to do more in that criminal justice space than others.
0: Well, well said. Let's talk about uh, the diversion programs that you are uh, quite interested in.
3: Well, one of the ways uh, that we're unique, obviously, is we have the ability to come up with unique programs, see if they work, measure our results, recalibrate the things that aren't working, and improve on them. So we've actually become a leader in Long Beach in, uh, in diversion programs that become models across the country. Now, just
0: for the record, diversion means taking a case out of the criminal justice and putting it somewhere else.
3: Yeah, I, I would describe it this way. We have a traditional criminal justice uh, system where people get arrested, they get brought to court, they get charged, they get sentenced uh, to jail or fines or whatever. Anything that's an alternative to that system might be called diversion. So for example, we divert cases pre-filing, so that case never goes to court at all. And um, I'm especially uh, proud to talk about a new diversion program we have called Law Enforcement Assisted Diversion, or LEAD. Long Beach was chosen as one of two pilot locations in California. There's only two funded by the state. One is in San Francisco. The other is in North Long Beach and connected to Compton and Linwood. And our pilot program is going to provide $5.9 million from the state to our local area for drug diversion, primarily drug diversion, but it's also going to be used to divert uh, women who may be involved in prostitution most of whom, by the way, have drug uh, histories, and push them out of that life and into housing, into live-in drug treatment, outpatient drug treatment, give them a wide array of services. And then we're gonna do this for two years. The pilot program is funded for two years, and we're gonna measure the results and see if this nice. diversion program has you know, better effects than the traditional criminal justice program.
0: It just seems so much more rational and humane and moral to uh, uh, not use the criminal justice system uh, against people that 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 have an addiction and. And many consider it's a medical problem, not a criminal justice problem.
3: Well, and if you don't attack the cause, the root cause of that problem, you're mm. simply gonna be funneling these people in and out of the criminal yeah. justice system. That's very expensive, number one. And number two, it's not an effective public safety strategy. So if we can attack the underlying problem and get people help for their condition, get them out of drugs, uh, out of that lifestyle, and they can become productive members of society, we're actually making our neighborhood safer. But uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself. We're going to measure this for two years, and we're going to see if it works. And I, I like to measure our programs because I don't want to do something because it sounds good. I want to do it. I want to measure it. and I want to recalibrate and improve on it.
0: Well, we look forward to hearing the results of, uh, of, of this two-year pilot program uh, on a future Straight Talk show. You can uh, share, share the results. I'd be
3: happy to come back and share those with you. Absolutely.
0: Let's transition into drugs because drugs are such a, huge problem in our society. The war on drugs has been fought for 20 plus years, and many would say we are not winning the war on drugs. It's best a stalemate, or maybe we're losing it. Uh, Give us your macro view before we go into details in the next segment.
3: Well, and obviously the war on drugs means different things to different people, but we obviously started incarcerating people for drug offenses, including serious drug offenses, but also minor offenses and the rate of incarceration kept increasing. So over the last 30 years, we, had, we ratcheted up the sentencing laws, and so people, especially in the federal system, were incarcerated for long periods of time. That incarceration rate was unsustainable. We just will not have enough prison space to hold people. Uh, for as long as some of these sentences are. And
0: some of the uh, people being held were for for relatively minor offenses.
3: Right, right. So in addition to ratcheting it up for drug sales, we also ratcheted it up for for drug drug possession, drug transportation. Uh, But there's been a huge uh, swing of the pendulum uh, to the other direction. And so we're struggling right now. And I'll I'll give you some examples. Uh, In the last year, drug death overdoses increased 19% that's a very significant one-year increase and we're seeing things we had not seen before some parts of the country for example are having uh, drug epidemics that they've never experienced before here in california you know the drug culture has been alive and well for for decades Uh, but (laughs) california leads the country (laughs) again but in some parts of the uh, some parts of the country they weren't used to seeing statistics that they're seeing right now
0: let's continue this conversation but first we pause for these messages
2: At the Port of Long Beach, we're not only delivering jobs, smart ideas, and forward-thinking environmental initiatives
0: We're back, continuing this fascinating discussion uh, with our city prosecutor about drugs, which is a huge problem in our society, has been for a long time, Mm -hmm. and continues to be. Please continue with your discussion.
3: Well just the statistics are somewhat alarming. Uh, It used to be among the homeless population that HIV was the number one uh, killer of homeless people. Now it's drugs, drug overdoses. Um, We're seeing an increase uh, here in California as well. Uh, not, not just nationally, but here in the state of California, we're seeing an increase in drug deaths. We're seeing new drugs introduced into our markets. In fact, um, one of the new hot topics is this new synthetic uh, drug. It's the same morphine molecule that we've been getting in heroin for years and years, but the synthetic drug, um, fentanyl, is 50 times more
0: potent than heroin. In fact, you can simply breathe in the dust and it can kill you. And, and you can get this drug by, by prescription, and it's made by the major drug companies.
3: Well, I think a lot of the heroin epidemic is related to prescription drugs that were probably overprescribed and then prescriptions that were overfilled. It was very easy at one point to fill your prescription at multiple places. We didn't have a really good drug registry to keep track of who was filling these prescriptions. And so for the last 10 years, we've really had a lot of uh, over-the-counter, ca- not over-the-counter, but prescription drug use. And then when they stop the prescription drug, people look to get that drug elsewhere, and they go to the streets. They go to the illicit heroin market. It's cheaper. It's easier to get. Uh, and that's, that's caused uh, a growing heroin e- epidemic. We had had a decrease in heroin for many, many years until the last uh, few years, and we've seen an increase. There.
0: I read some material indicating that some unscrupulous doctors uh, knowingly over- prescribe it uh, because of it being profitable and uh, the users are using it not for medical reasons.
3: Yeah, there, there have been a lot of issues. There, there have been these pill mills that have been set up simply to prescribe uh, drugs. There, Like I said, there's also um, pharmacies that are ready to fill prescriptions. Uh, you know, buses would show up with people who would get off and each one has a prescription for the same thing. How come thing?
0: local prosecutors can't come down hard on folks that are are, are creating this public health risk.
3: Well, the district attorney in L.A. has. In fact, uh, I think they filed one of the largest cases in the country. But California had been doing a little better. And I mentioned some other states, states like Ohio and states like West Virginia had very little regulation of, of pharmacies. So they were, it was a little harder for them to catch on to these pill mills and what they were doing. But these were these were legitimate doctors that were writing prescriptions. You know, The state normally does not interfere with a doctor-patient uh, uh, relationship.
0: But, but you think with computer t- technology, they could keep track of where a lot of these prescriptions are being filed yes. and, and, and filled.
3: And, and they're starting to do that and they're starting to curtail that. But unfortunately, we've had over a decade of that, that activity.
0: Well, that's also related perhaps to truancy. I know truancy is an area of great interest to you and you focus on it because uh, your studies indicate that uh, truants are more likely to, to run into foul with the criminal justice system later in life.
3: Yeah, and as you know, we've started uh, anti-truancy programs in partnership with the school district, and this year we're doubling down on that effort. I'm convinced, uh, more than even before, that if we can keep kids in school, and it starts as early as kindergarten, first, second grade, in fact, those first few years are absolutely critical to learning how to read. They say you learn to read the first three years. For the rest of your life, you read to learn.
0: And that's one reason, if I could just introduce, uh, preschool is so important because that gives additional advantages to those kids.
3: And we have one of the best public school districts in the country. But our kids aren't going to get the benefit of it if they don't go to school. Truancy is one of the number one indicators for dropout. In fact, seventy-five percent of chronic truants drop out of school, and we know there's a lot of data connected to dropout. In fact, people who drop out of school are three and a half times more likely to be arrested, and eight times wow. more likely to be incarcerated than those that just finish high school.
0: And so you appropriately go after the parents of truants because a uh, one-year, uh, a first grader is not voluntarily choosing not to go to...
3: Right, I I think holding parents accountable. The law in California says parents are required to get their kids to school, and a chronic truant is one who has missed 10% or more of the school year without an excuse so take away all the illnesses take away all the the sick days uh, and all the legitimate excuses and you still have kids that are missing large chunks of time if you miss twenty percent of your third grade year and aren't reading at grade level how are you going to keep up in fourth grade if you miss twenty percent of fourth grade then how are you going to keep up in
0: fifth grade so you can go to that parent and say look it's your responsibility to do this you're not doing it and we're coming after you.
3: Well, we certainly bring them in for an office conference. My number one goal is to get the child in school. It's not to punish the parent. Uh, Very rarely does one of our cases end up in court. We offer them a wide range of services. We do spend, uh, it's an intense office conference. where We try to figure out what is the problem. Is the problem transportation? We're gonna give you bus tickets. Is the problem lack of a school uniform or the kid needs a backpack? We're gonna provide those things. Whatever the hurdle is, we're gonna remove that hurdle. That's great. At that point, we hold the parents accountable. Do you
0: follow up uh, and what are your, what's the success rate of this uh, effort?
3: Well, last year, uh, we actually focused on three middle schools that historically had problems with chronic truancy and were in neighborhoods known for gang crime. And we dropped, uh, of those that were referred to us in our chronic truancy program, they had an average of 19% missed classes. After our office conference, they had 4% missed classes. So they're they're less than half of that 10% cutoff. 4% Four percent's not zero percent. I'd rather have them be at school every single day. But you know what? Four uh, percent statistically, they're going to make it through high school,
0: and that's the starting point for learning. We hope that now that they're going to school, that they're learning something while they're there. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. We'll be back with more of our show after these messages. We're back, continuing conversation with our city prosecutor, Doug Halbert. Doug, uh, Prop 47 and uh, Prop 109 uh, let a lot of folks out earlier than they otherwise would have, mm-hmm. and, and uh, a lot of bad folks were, were out on the street. And I guess it was done with the best of intentions. But it hasn't quite worked out that way.
3: Yeah, I think realignment or AB 109 and Prop 47 probably had good intentions. The people behind it wanted to reduce over-incarceration and and free up space in jail for the more serious criminals. Unfortunately, it hasn't worked quite that way. It's been a failed experiment in a lot of ways. Just to give you an example of a couple cases that we've dealt with recently, we had an individual with a long criminal history and a criminal history that involved being in state psychiatric units while he was being incarcerated. at one time, you know, 12 years ago on attempted murder, pled to uh, assault with a deadly weapon. But he probably has 15 to 20 different convictions over the course of his life. Uh, the other day, uh, he, uh, he's homeless, transient, living in Long Beach on 2nd Street. He approached a man and his daughters, he immediately got into a verbal uh, confrontation and then punched uh, the father in the nose. It was a misdemeanor battery. Uh, onlookers came and broke it up and he was arrested. Uh, He was sentenced to the maximum for misdemeanor battery, which is six months in jail. He was released the next day. This is what's happening as a result of the early release policies uh, in in California. And it's very unfortunate. It's one of the things we fight with all the time because we we do a lot of diversion. Well,
0: who who is advocating keeping this system going? Well,
3: this is the system we have here. AB-109 realignment moved uh, about two-thirds of state prison... Uh, population to the county jails, So the county jails are releasing misdemeanants at a rapid rate.
0: But uh, the governor supported that under and there was a court order to uh, uh, thin out the uh, population. Well it's funny you would mention that
3: because the court order required to uh, require the state to remove people out of the state prison. But AB 109 specifically says the purpose of this bill is not to relieve prison overcrowding. They specifically put that in there. So uh, it's the state, um, I think the state is doing it for what they believe are, uh, as we said, good intentions. They're, they're, they believe they are doing what they think is right by, lo- by moving uh, less violent, less serious offenders out of custody into the community. How, but how, but now some how people is, how, are very, very how, serious. How does that
0: make it safer? Uh, letting these people out?
3: Well, compared to the felon who might be in, uh, in county jail for assault with a deadly weapon, this person who is a misdemeanor, who I know is very violent and I know is very dangerous, but his conviction is a misdemeanor. And so the state views that misdemeanor as just not that important, so they're releasing him within a and day. And at the
0: time, you pointed out to me that the prosecutors lost leverage by not having the more stringent uh, laws on the books to push into diversion programs.
3: Well, absolutely. One of the things no one anticipated was drug court has virtually been eliminated. Very rarely does anybody opt to go into drug rehabilitation to get rid of a case because instead of getting rid of a felony case, which is quite serious, all it does is dismiss a misdemeanor case and a lot of people already have misdemeanors on their record. So
0: it sounds to me like you would support a revision of both of these uh, laws.
3: Absolutely. I think the pendulum swung way too far to begin with and now it's it's swung too far the opposite way. I'm looking for a little more smart justice somewhere in the middle where we hold people accountable who really are dangerous. We also give uh, services to those that really need it, but we also hold accountable the people who are not going to change Do you their you sense ways.
0: any movement uh, up in Sacramento towards uh, Uh, revision of these two laws?
3: You know, uh, we have a great State Assemblyman, Patrick O'Donnell, and I think he's looking at a lot of things. Uh, He's only one person, but um, I, I think we will see it. Unfortunately, we may have to see a continued increase in violent crime, which we have seen the last few years. We've seen an uptick in crime. It may take a few more years of that before this adjustment happens. But like I said, the pendulum was too far one end. It's kind of swung too far to the other end. Somewhere in between, we need to find some common sense.
0: Until the recent increase in violent crime that you mentioned earlier in the show, there had been a long period of decline in violent yes. crime. And that bottomed out and then started to rise several years ago.
3: Right. Really from the, the late 80s, early 90s, which is really the, the peak of, of our crime uh, statistics, there's been a gradual decline that's happened ever since then up until around 2014. In 2014, it appears not only have we stopped the downward slope, but we've actually started with an uptick. For example, murders in the largest cities throughout the country uh, have gone up uh, quite rapidly.
0: And here in Long Beach, there have been a a fairly substantial increase in crimes against property break-ins burglaries and that kind of stuff
3: well actually long beach crime data is not that bad if you look at long beach crime data we're, we're more of a, of a leveling out but if you look at larger trends and long beach by virtue of being part of la county uh, is is obviously going to be affected by what happens in the city of la and in other parts of the county so what what happens in long beach is not going to be isolated in long beach and what happens outside our borders is going to affect what happens here and these are large scale changes in the criminal justice system that uh, that are going to affect us
0: whatever we do as we come to the end of the segment let me ask you what would you say would be the number one uh... recommendation that you would uh... uh... provide for for improving uh, uh, for lessening crime?
3: Well, uh, there are several, but one thing, Prop 47 turned every uh, drug possession, including heroin and cocaine, and some very, very serious drugs, from a felony to a misdemeanor level, I would have liked to have a provision that allows it to be charged as a felony if a person continues and repeatedly commits crimes and and possesses drugs. The people that go into rehab, I think that's fantastic. We need to push them into rehab, but the misdemeanor statutes are not pushing people into rehab. They have no interest in getting rid of a misdemeanor case by going into rehab. There ought to be a way to make it a wobble, so it could be a misdemeanor or a felony. It went from a straight felony to a straight misdemeanor. They could have shot for a middle ground for repeat offenders, they didn't do that.
0: Makes sense to me. Okay, we'll be back with the rest of our show after these messages.
3: How do you like your chances the rest of the week? I got
2: no idea. But I do know that if we stay with Naples Rib Company, at least we won't go hungry. Coach, what do you think about some of those questionable calls tonight? Yeah. But if you want a sound call, I'd call Naples Rib Company. You can't miss on that call.
3: Then Naples Rib Company is part of your game plan?
2: There really is nothing more motivating than a great barbecue meal at Naples Rib Company. Victory or not, Naples Rib Company,
3: great game plan.
0: I think Long Beach is very fortunate to have a city prosecutor of the quality of our guest, Doug Halbert, and uh, we wish you continued success in your, in your efforts to m- make our city safer.
3: Well, thank you, Art, and by the way, I want to congratulate you. You finished your 25th year, and you're now on your 26th year of service to the community, providing news and information, so I want to thank you for what you
0: do for our community. Well, well thank you for that, and uh, thank you guys for watching at home. And please be with us next week for the next edition of Straight Talk. Good night,
1: everyone. Straight Talk has been brought to you by the Port of Long Beach, the Press-Telegram, and Scan Health Plan. And remember, Straight Talk is viewable 24-7 at straighttalktv.com.